Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, it's Friday the 13th, and it is a Friday before a three-day holiday weekend. Monday, of course, Martin Luther King Day. Stock market will be closed in observance of the holiday. And once again, I guess uh, Friday the 13th was bad luck for those hoping for Dow 20,000 because we still are below. In fact, the Dow finished the day down. It was a slight decline for the Dow, but not so for gold. I mean, gold was up again. Uh, The dollar was actually down again. In fact, this year is already shaping up the mirror image of what everybody expected when the year began. You know, the Dow is up slightly. I think we're up about a half a percent, if that. I think the S&P is maybe up about one and a half percent not that much but look at the dollar the dollar index is down one percent so in in terms of foreign currencies the dow is actually down but the dollar index is mostly the euro if you take a look at some of the other currencies the canadian dollar for example is up two and a half percent so far in 2017. the australian dollar is up four percent so far in 2017 these are some pretty big moves early in the year and remember everybody was bullish on the dollar that was the trade it was so crowded everybody was in it every strategist that i saw on financial news at the end of last year early this year i'm long the dollar i'm short the aussie or i'm short canada short the euro short the yen meanwhile all these currencies are going up and i think they're going a lot higher and i think the shorts are going to lose a lot of money. 
Take a look at gold stocks. Gold stocks are up about 10% so far in 2017. We're only two weeks into the year. This is already a much stronger start for the gold stocks than we had last year. And of course, last year was a great year for gold stocks, despite the fact that they sold off towards the end of the year based on all the hype surrounding Donald Trump and all the great economic growth that we were going to get and how the Fed was going to be raising rates even faster and the dollar was going to be even stronger. I knew all that was a bunch of nonsense. People still believe in it, but the markets are already showing that that is a a false uh, paradigm that they believe in. And I think people are already set up to miss this trade. And most of the Wall Street strategists are going to once again miss out on these opportunities. We did get quite a bit of economic data that came out today. Probably the most significant for most people were the retail sales numbers that came out for December. And again, this was a miss. Now, the headline number was not as bad. They were looking for up 0.7 and we got up 0.6. So that's pretty close. And, you know, they revised the November number from up 0.1 to up 0.2. So pretty much a push. But once you look beneath the surface, the picture gets a lot darker. Less autos, we were supposed to be up 0.5. We were up just 0.2. And if you take out autos and gas, we were supposed to be up 0.3. Instead, it was flat, zero, no increase at all. So pretty much all of the gain in retail sales was because people were paying more money to fill up the cars that they bought on credit. In fact, I think a lot of people are still trying to take advantage of cheap financing to buy a car, but eventually this auto bubble is going to completely blow up and the auto sales are going to collapse. But of course, gasoline sales, they'll keep rising because I think the price of oil is going to keep rising. Oil prices, you know, down a little bit today, but still 53 and change. Oil has really been holding above 50. It seems like it's building a lot of support above 50. You know, when we started last year, a year ago, January, oil prices were barely above 30. And there were people thinking that they might go down to 20. And now we're, what, you know, 60%, 80% higher, whatever the percentage is, 60%, I think. And I think they're headed higher, which is going to make the year-over-year comparisons when it comes to inflation quite a bit higher. In fact, earlier in the week, we got uh, import prices rising at their fastest pace in four years. And this is going to accelerate. And of course, Americans buy a lot of imports and uh, these imports are going to get more expensive. We did get the PPI numbers that came out today pretty much in line with estimates up 0.3. But the core, the core was slightly hotter than expected. They were looking for up 0.1. We got up 0.2. These numbers are still low, but I think they're going to go a lot higher as the year progresses. But again, it's not just in the U.S. We're getting higher inflation all around the world particularly in the eurozone and unlike the fed the ecb has a single mandate and that's to fight inflation and i think they're going to have a lot of inflation to fight in 2017 in fact i think that's going to be one of the themes of 2017 that the ecb is going to be beginning a new tightening cycle they may not get around the raising rates but they're going to start tapering they're going to start you know guiding the markets and preparing the markets for an end to qe and you know, tapering is in fact tightening, especially when you've had all this QE and negative rates. So I think you're going to start to see the ECB changing its rhetoric and effectively tightening monetary policy. But at the same time, I think the Fed is going to backtrack. I think the Fed is going to have to guide monetary policy easier 
especially if we do get any kind of fiscal stimulus coming from Congress early in the Trump uh, presidency. If we get some tax cuts, we get some increased government spending, and if the economy continues to weaken it, I mean, not just these weaker than expected December retail sales, but look at Walmart layoffs, look at Lowe's, look at Boeing, a lot of other retailers too, I saw uh, layoffs being announced. I think that is gonna continue. And again, the, the impact of the minimum wage hikes, uh, that is really cutting back uh, staffing. And a lot of people too, they may not lose their jobs because of the higher minimum wage, but they're gonna lose income because their bosses are gonna cut back on their hours that they work. So they may make a little bit more money for each hour they work, but they're not gonna be able to work as many hours. And so they're gonna have less take-home pay as a result of a higher minimum wage. And of course, that is going to have repercussions because there'll be less spending in the economy. So as the economy slows down, as the budget deficits widen in the United States, expect the Fed to get easier uh, with monetary policy, despite the fact that there's rising inflation. Because the Fed doesn't have to worry. If inflation is above 2%, the Fed could say, well, you know, we have other things. We're concerned about growth. We're concerned about employment. They don't have the single mandate that the ECB has. If inflation hits 2%, they've got no choice. They've got to do something about it. We can just look the other way and keep raising the goalposts. We can make them as high as we want. They're fixed over there. And the Bundesbank is not going to let the ECB continue with this kind of monetary policy if we get 2% inflation. And in fact, we may get higher than official 2% inflation throughout the Eurozone. One thing I wanted to talk about in this podcast when it comes to prices is this ridiculous idea. And I saw a lot of people talking about it. And I read this article on CNBC about it. And it has to do with the idea that if we impose tariffs, and one way we might do that is a border-adjusted tax. And the way this would work is corporations would not be able to deduct the cost of import. So, for example, let's say Walmart imports a product and it pays $100 for the product. And then it sells it to its customers at $120, right? Well, it, it has a profit of $20, right? Because it costs $100 and it marked it up 20, so it, it made $20, right? It would write off the $100 cost from the $120 sale, and it would have $20 worth of profits. Now, of course, there's other overhead or other costs before they actually compute their taxable income, but you get the idea, right? Well, what the border tax would do is say, you can't deduct $100 that you paid for the, the item. So the entire $120 would be taxable. You, wouldn't, you couldn't write off $100 that it cost you to import the product. Now, if you didn't import the product, if you bought the product domestically, well, then you can still write off the $100. But if you import it, well, you can't. Well, of course, companies like Walmart, they have to import everything because if they bought stuff domestically, you know, the prices would be so high that you know, nobody would be able to afford it. Now, they're talking about lowering the corporate income tax, let's say, to 20%. So, in effect, what this would do is it would basically impose the equivalent of a 20% tax on imports that Walmart would just pass on to its customers. So, instead of selling the product for you know, $120, they would have to sell it for $140. They would give $20 to the U.S. government and they would still keep a $20 margin for themselves. Now, 
what everybody is saying is, oh, it's not going to work that way. They're saying that because of the impact of these tariffs, right, these taxes, that America's imports are going to fall and our exports are going to rise and somehow this shrinking of our trade deficit is going to lead to a 20% rise in the value of the dollar. Therefore, our imports will be 20% cheaper and so the tariffs won't cost us anything because even though we have to pay the 20% tax because the dollar is more valuable and foreign currencies have dropped 20%, the net effect to American shoppers is a push. We pay the tax, but we get cheaper products thanks to a, to a stronger dollar. I mean, talk about complete nonsense. That's not going to happen at all. I mean, first of all, if all, if it all it took to strengthen your currency was to slap on a tariff, everybody would do it. After all, a strong currency means you're richer. It means you can buy more stuff for less. It means you can have a higher standard of living. You know, it's not that simple. And first of all, if people think that if we just impose a 20% tariff, that that the dollar is going to rise 20% so that the net cost of imports hasn't even increased, then why would our balance of payments improve? Why would our trade deficit shrink? The whole concept is Americans will import less because importing is going to cost more money. But if the dollar is going to surge thanks to the tariffs, and why, why would we stop importing? Because prices haven't gone up. The whole purpose of it is to force up the price of imports so Americans won't import as much. So to say that the tariff is going gonna, is gonna to be a push because the, the higher price cost of the tariff is going to be offset by a stronger dollar is complete nonsense because then there is no improvement in the trade deficit and there's no reason for the dollar to rise. So the whole thing is nonsense. It isn't going to happen. And in fact, just because we may have a smaller trade deficit doesn't mean the dollar is going to go up. The dollar can tank. Look, the European trade surplus has been rising, yet the euro was falling. I mean, it's certainly possible and probable that we can have a smaller trade deficit, but a weaker dollar. And in fact, it's not just the trade deficit, but the current account deficit that weighs on the dollar. And as interest rates rise, our current account deficit goes up because we have to pay more interest to foreign holders of U.S. treasuries as interest rates rise. And I think the increase in the current account deficit that is going to be driven by higher interest rates will be greater than any reduction in our merchandise trade deficit that may result from tariffs that result in Americans buying fewer foreign products. But here's the important thing that everybody is missing. It's not that Americans are just going to stop buying American products because imported products are a lot more than 20% cheaper than the domestic alternatives. It's not like, you know, you want to buy something and I can buy the one made in China uh, for $10 or I can buy the one made in America for $12. Chances are we don't even make it at all. But even if we did, it's probably $20 or $25, right? Not $12. So even if there's a tariff on imports, Americans are still going to buy the import because either they don't even have the option of buying a domestic alternative or the domestic alternative is so much more expensive that the import is still a better deal, even if it's 20% more expensive. But because Americans don't have an unlimited amount of money, if you force them to spend 20% more to buy products, then they're probably going to buy 20% fewer products because they're pretty much spending everything they have as it is. And so if prices go up, they're just going to spend less. It's not like 
they're going to start buying American products. They're going to still buy imported products. They just won't, won't buy as many because they can't afford it. The money is going to be sent to Washington instead. This is not going to be good for the economy. Now, if we had the right tax policy, I'm all in favor of taxing imports and taxing consumption. So to the extent that we reduced income taxes in general, to the extent that maybe we eliminated the income tax completely and replaced it with some kind of uh, border-adjusted tax that amounted to a sales tax on imports, I'm all for that kind of stuff because that's a more efficient way to run the economy. And we need to stop uh, encouraging consumption and, and start rewarding savings by allowing interest rates to rise. So I am not against uh, this proposal, but I understand the immediate impact is going to be a big shot to the average American consumer who all of a sudden is going to find his cost of living much higher and his standard of living much lower. Now, this is something that needs to be done, and it should have been done a long time ago. We've been living beyond our means. We've been buying all kinds of stuff that we couldn't, have, that we shouldn't have bought, that we can't afford. We need to be saving money. But as this consumer-based bubble economy deflates, it can't happen without a recession. So if we're going to make imports a lot more expensive, and since pretty much everything we buy is imported, then consumer spending is going to fall in real terms. That means businesses are going to see their profits decline, and so they're going to have to shrink. They're going to have to lay people off. This whole you know, retail-oriented, 70% uh, consumer spending-driven GDP, this whole thing is going to have to contract if this proposal actually sees the light of day. But what is crazy is that so many people don't even think it's going to hurt consumption because they somehow believe that the dollar is going to rise as a result. You know, what's probably going to happen is the dollar is going to be falling when this tax is implemented, and it will continue to fall subsequent uh, to its implementation. So not only are Americans going to have to pay more money for foreign products because of the tariffs, but they're going to have to pay more money for foreign products because the dollar is going down, not up. So it's going to be a double whammy. You're going to pay more to buy stuff because the dollar's gone down, and you're going to pay more because there's a tax. So instead of prices going up by 20%, they might go up by 30 or 40%. So that is really what the American consumer uh, is looking at. And it's amazing how few people can actually connect these very, very obvious dots. And in fact, they go in the exact opposite direction and somehow believe uh, that the result of this is going to be a stronger dollar and therefore uh, consumers aren't going to get hurt and the government's going to get all this tax revenue for free, right? We're going to get all this tax revenue going to the government, yet uh, consumers are gonna, aren't going to feel a thing because they're going to get a price cut thanks to a stronger dollar. Not a chance, not a chance in hell that that's actually going to happen. Now, I want to just you know, finish up this podcast kind of on a lighter note and, and give everybody a little, you know, summary of my day today and just it's it's just an an example of how government works and why government shouldn't do anything probably particularly here in puerto rico where you know we we, they probably raise uh the inefficiencies of government to uh to new heights which is why you know the country is broke despite the fact that no puerto ricans have to pay u.s income taxes i mean can you imagine how wealthy should puerto rico be if the u.s tax code doesn't apply here Right. Puerto Ricans can go to work and not have to pay U.S. federal income taxes on their earnings. This this place should be the richest place in the world. Uh, But thanks to big government, 
It's not. It's broke. The average income here in Puerto Rico is half of what it is in the mainland. It should be three or four times what it is in the mainland. And it would be if they took advantage fully of the fact that they don't have to pay the federal income tax. You know, they don't even have to pay the Obamacare tax. Uh, so the, it, it should be, this place should be richer than Singapore. It should be richer uh, than, than Monaco or Liechtenstein. Uh, but it's not because the politicians didn't even appreciate the gift that they had. You know, it's crazy, too, that you have people here that actually want statehood. Statehood? I mean, that's the worst thing. If, if Puerto Rico was a state, then it'd really be broke. Because now they'd have to pay federal income tax. And now they'd be on the hook for their share of the $20 trillion national debt. Right now, that's not their problem. Because the U.S. government can't tax them to pay it off. You know, if any state in the union would gladly trade places with Puerto Rico, right? Not be a state, be a territory, and not have to pay the federal income tax. The only thing that you give up is the vote, right? You can't vote in the presidential elections. I mean, big deal. I mean, other than, you know, I voted for Trump and he won, but this is the first time I voted for a winner, I think, in my entire life. Everybody else I voted for lost. So, you know, and, you know, of course, Trump didn't win Connecticut, so my vote meant nothing anyway. So even if I was in Puerto Rico, it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the election. But you know what? I'd give up my vote in a heartbeat, and I did, if it also means giving up paying the federal income tax. Uh, but so this place should be really, really rich. And hopefully, you know, we have a new governor here, and uh, he, you know, he's Republican, and he's, uh, in fact, one of the things he's proposing now, which is a great idea, is he wants to exempt doctors that, that are in Puerto Rico from income tax, their first $250,000 of income would be tax-free, right? No taxes in the U.S., no tax in Puerto Rico. And then anything they make on top of that, you know, would be a 4% tax. That's a great deal. And in fact, if you're an um, American doctor and you move here, not only can you get that, but the money that you earn being a doctor that you didn't pay any taxes on, you can invest that in the stock market. And if you make money, you pay zero capital gains tax on top. So it's a great deal. And I think... Hopefully, it could bring a lot of doctors. In fact, I think Puerto Rico could end up being the plastic surgeon capital of the, of the world. We could have huge medical tourism because that's where people really shop around for price, right? They shop around with cosmetic surgery because insurance companies don't pay for it. And, and so if you want to, you know, have uh, breast implants or a nose job or, you know, whatever the procedures are, you know, you got to pay for it yourself. And if a doctor can perform that cosmetic surgery in Puerto Rico and pay zero income taxes on what they earn, they can undercut their you know, mainland competitors that have to give half their income to the government. And so instead of charging $10,000 for a procedure, uh, they can charge $7,500. But after tax, they're still making 50% more they, they would make if they did the procedure in the States. But meanwhile, to save the money, I can see a lot of people flying down to Puerto Rico uh, and having the work done here. Meanwhile, it's a great place to recuperate. You know, maybe sometimes you get some surgery, you need a couple of weeks before you go home because you don't want your friends to see all your bruises. So you need to kind of, you know, hang out someplace, in, you know, uh, take a little sabbatical. And this is a great place for spas and lying at the beach and pampering yourself while you're waiting for your, you know, your bruises to fade and, you know, your wounds to heal. So it could be a big, uh, big um, industry here. But the reason I wanted to talk about Puerto Rico was to talk about government. So one of the things I had to do today is I shipped a car over here from Connecticut. And the reason I shipped one is, you know, I didn't want to go and buy one right away. And it's very expensive when you buy a car here because they have a big import tax. So I shipped over a 2008 Range Rover that I had. And I figured, OK, you know, it's it's old enough that it's not going to be too big a tax to, to bring it in. 
And, and so I shipped it myself. I paid a company to ship it over. So I had to go and pick it up. Right? It arrived this week. And this is all government. So I, I go down there to pick it up. And you, walk, you, know, you go to this room and you wait on a line. And, and then you tell them your car and the number of your, you know, your booking. And they'll say, okay, go, go, to your, you know, go find your car. And there is an appraisal in there. Go get the appraisal and bring it back to this other window which is a government. The government building is actually, in, it used to be in a different location. Now it's in the same building. But the government here is called Hacienda. And so it's a Hacienda office. And so I get the appraisal of my car because that tells you how much it's worth so you know how much your taxes. And so I take that, that form to the window and you know she adds it up and says, okay, you got the, here's your tax plus you owe this little fee for insurance for a few days because I got to pay this insurance until I register the car which is a whole nother mess that I got to do. Um, and, and then there's another small number. So he, he, they, they tell me the total amount that I owe. And it's, I don't know, it's about like 3,700 bucks. You know, all in 3,700 bucks. And I, I want to pay, right? Okay, yeah, they take credit cards. Great, let me pay this. Oh, no, 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 you can't pay here. You got to go to the office in old San Juan, right? It was about 15 minute drive away. So why, I mean, but why can't I just pay you here? I mean, you know how much I owe. Why can't I just give, oh, no, this is not how we do it. So I got to drive, got to get in the car, got to drive down to old San Juan. Fortunately, I got GPS. If I didn't have GPS, who knows how long it would have taken me to get there. And this is a really funny part. So there's a long line of cars to get into the parking lot, the government parking lot. And when I get to the, the front of the line, I see why it's, it's slowed down because there's a woman there standing there, you know, telling everybody what lane to park in, right? And they said, okay, they told me to park in lane three. I'm like, well, you know, it's just a parking lot. So then I get in, I get to lane three. There's another government worker standing there. And she tells me which of the various empty spots that I should pull into. Now, meanwhile, this is a big parking lot. There's lots of empty spots. I could park myself. I don't need two bureaucrats telling me which aisle to park in and which spot to park in. I mean, they're not reserved. They're not numbered. It's just a parking lot, right? So these are all these wasted bureaucrats. Meanwhile, there's some other bureaucrats there just kind of like running around in golf carts, just kind of, you know, there. I don't know what they're doing. But anyway, so now I park my car and I have to go uh, to, the, to the fourth floor of this government building. And now I go to another Hacienda office. And in that office, the woman sees how much I owe and I give her a credit card and I pay. And she takes uh, uh, the, the credit card and then she gives me another piece of paper and she tells me to go up to go downstairs to the third floor. And I got to turn this piece of paper in at another desk where I got to wait on another line. And then uh, that other bureaucrat is going to give me the slip that I need to go get my car out of the, the, the port. And they give me like a temporary registration. This is a government office. So now I go back to where I started and I give the government worker the piece of paper that I got from the other government worker in, uh, in old San Juan. And then, okay, fine. Now you can go get your car. Now, why doesn't the first bureaucrat, it's the same government, right? Hacienda, right? Why doesn't the, the, the person who initially rings me up at the port where my car is, right? Why can't I just pay that person with my visa and that same person could then give me the piece of paper that I can walk outside and get my car? Why do I have to leave that government building, go to another government building downtown when I'm here at the port, right? And then go to two separate offices and come back. This whole thing takes hours when it should have taken minutes. And in fact, if this was a private business, if McDonald's ran uh, this, this operation 
the whole thing would have taken minutes. In fact, McDonald's probably would have had me do the whole thing online. I mean, why couldn't I just go online, pay it, go get my car? You know, and, you know, and people are telling me, now I've, I'm actually paying somebody called an expediter because I've heard that if I want to register my car, which is go down to the DMV. See, I haven't been to the DMV here yet. I mean, I'm, you know, I, mean I can't take the ones in, in Connecticut. I'm, I'm sure these ones in Puerto Rico are off the charts, but everybody is warning me, no, 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 you can't go there yourself. I mean, you'll just die. You'll, take you the, you'll be there all day. So I got to pay somebody to go down there and do it for me. And in fact, I read too that sometimes there's people in Puerto Rico that just stand in these government offices and they just get in line. And then when you get there, you pay them to take their spot in line. In fact, this is probably one of the reasons that the lines are so long is so many people are just there for no other reason other than to sell their spot in line to somebody else. So I'm going to pay somebody to uh, go to the DMV and, um, and just register my car. I mean, how, how complicated could that be to go in there and just register your car? I mean, I've already paid the tax. I've already brought it in. I just got to get my Puerto Rican plates. But apparently that takes all day. So I got to pay somebody, uh, an expediter, or go down there and do it for me, which is fine. Because the, the less uh, you know, contact I have with these bureaucrats, the better it's going to be. And then apparently, too, it's going to be another big deal for me to go to the DMV again to get my driver's license. Uh, and there, I think they'll come with me. And by the way, too, nobody speaks English. Here's a funny thing. I wanted to find out if I could pay, pay with a credit card because I couldn't sure. I heard some people said you got to pay with a cashier's check or something. So I called up Hacienda, right? And I had to wait on hold for a long time. And somebody answers the phone. And they're, of course, they're speaking to me in Spanish. That's even though I push the button for English, right? They say, if you want to continue in English, press one. And so I press one. But even though I said I want English, the person who answers the phone is hola and starts talking to me in Spanish. And I mean, I got a little high school Spanish, but believe me, I, I, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't, you know, have a real conversation. Uh, and so I asked the lady, do you speak English? And she says, oh, no, one minute, you know, and she goes to transfer me. And then she hangs up on me. I called three times. And every time I called, the same thing. The lady answers in Spanish. Oh, let me transfer you. And then I get disconnected. Now, either nobody at, you know, Hacienda knows how to transfer a call or basically that's just what they do. If you don't speak Spanish, they just hang up on you. They pretend they're transferring you, but they just hang up on you. I mean, it's probably easier for somebody in America to talk to the government in Spanish than it is in Puerto Rico for an American to talk to someone in the Puerto Rican government in English, you know, and so I don't even know how they could be a state if they, they, you know, the government, they don't even know the language. I mean, maybe you have to flunk a test in English just to get a job at the government here. But I don't know. Some people tell me that they do speak English. They just don't want to, right? They, so if you don't speak Spanish, then, you know, the hell with it. But anyway, so I was able to, to take care of it. But, um, you know, there's one other story that I, you know, I've been wanting to share. And as long as I'm sharing these anecdotes, and yeah, I guess, you know, it's a holiday weekend, right? And um, this is something that happened to me uh, a few months ago at the airport. I mean, you hear a lot of stories about the TSA, right? So I was flying back from somewhere. I forget where I was. And I go through the T TSA and I'm, I'm with my, my wife and two of my children. And one of them is, you know, three years old. And the other one's a little baby. And, you know, she's nine months now. So maybe she was like six months old at the time, right? And you know how when you go through uh, at the airline, Sometimes somebody is randomly selected 
for extra screening. I don't know how your name comes up, right? You're randomly selected, and now they got to pat you down, right? They use that wand, and you know, they do all kinds of stuff to you, and it slows you down. They and they take your bags, and you know, if you're if you're running late for your flight, it's the worst thing, right? That your number comes up, that you're that you're that you're picked for extra screening. Anyway, so I'm going through, and of course, you know, I'm pre-checked, you know, and everyone in my party, we're all pre-checked, and we come through, and what do you know? One member of our party has been selected for, you know, uh, extra scrutiny. And it's my six-month-old daughter, Lillian. They're like, Lillian Schiff, Lillian Schiff. I'm like, what, what's going on? Well, Lillian's been selected for extra screening. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, she's, she's traveling as a lap child, right? It didn't even cost me any money. I didn't even have to buy her a ticket. But they print her out a boarding pass, and they actually screened her, a six-month-old. Now, what kind of screening process is this that you want to be extra scrutinous of a six-month-old girl? But even though they saw that she was six-month-old, they still wanted to do the process. This is the funniest part. So it's a guy, right? So there's a guy that wants to frisk her. But when he notices that it's a girl baby, he's like, oh, female assist, female assist. And he's calling for a woman because he's not allowed you know, to, to pat down a woman. She's a six-month-old baby. What difference does it make whether she's a woman or a man? It doesn't matter. But I guess, you know, because the gender is female, technically, he's not allowed to pat her down. So he's got to call over this woman who comes over to frisk this little six-month-old girl. I mean, I really wanted to, to film this whole thing. I, I wish I would have got it on film. But, you know, I kept thinking, you know, she had a diaper on. I mean, what if, what if, she, you know, what if there was something in that diaper? What if there was a little package in that diaper and they were frisking her down and they felt something? I mean, were they going to open up that diaper and check it out and see what, you know, see what was in there? I mean, I don't know. The whole thing was ridiculous, but it shows you what is the point. This is their screening process, and they're singling out a six-month-old girl like she's some kind of terrorist. You know, I mean, maybe single out the mother, right, or single out. They didn't frisk my, my wife. They didn't frisk me. They didn't pat us down. They only patted down the baby. This, this is the mindlessness of bureaucrats. I mean, obviously, there's some kind of mistake, right? I mean, just, oh, She's only six months old. Oh, forget about it. No, no, no. Let's pat her down. Let's frisk her. Let's, where's her bag? Which one is hers? That's her diaper bag. We better take a look at it, right? I mean, this is just like when my dad, when my dad was in dying in prison, right? He could barely move. He's breathing through a tube. He has to pee and poop in, in bags that are attached to him. Obviously, he can't get out of bed if he can't get out of bed to pee, yet they have to handcuff him to the bed. Now, why? Well, I guess there's a rule that says prisoners have to be handcuffed to a bed. Well, because they might escape. But if you're barely conscious, if you can't even get up to go to the bathroom and you're 87 years old, how are you going to escape? What is the point of having somebody die with a handcuff? I mean, handcuffs are very uncomfortable. So why have your last moments of life being extra uncomfortable because you got a metal handcuff changed to your, to your leg uh, around around a bed, right? Why not let them be comfortable? No, no, because those are the rules, right? The rules say you're a prisoner and you've got to be handcuffed to the bed if you're in a hospital. Well, I guess when you're a TSA agent and the machine says you better pat down a six-month-old girl because she's been pr selected randomly for extra scrutiny, you can't use your brain. You just have to do it. That is government. That's why anybody who thinks, well, Donald Trump is going to run government more efficiently, it's impossible you can never run government efficiently. Instead of trying to find smart people to run these government agencies, we ought to just shut down 
these government agencies, put people in charge of the liquidation of these agencies and, and departments and bureaucracies. We don't need all this government and we can't afford all this government. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.